Hi, friends, and happy Monday. Welcome to the Not Boring Audio Edition. This week, we have a special one. About a year ago, uh, I did a thread on this concept, uh, the Will Ferrell effect. And today, I expanded it because there's been this rise of startups that are as much memes as they are products. Uh, And I think Will Ferrell's career explains uh, some of the pitfalls that they should avoid. So without further ado, let's get to it. The Will Ferrell effect. It is what it is. What started out as a meme in our small group chat grew bigger than we ever imagined. On Thursday and Friday, this eye lips eye emoji, it is what it is, or I-I-W-I-I, took over my Twitter feed. All the cool Gen Z kids were tweeting it is what it is, adding it is what it is to their names, announcing to LinkedIn that they now worked at it is what it is, and leaking screenshots of the is of the it is what it is app. It's a tongue twister. Curious onlookers who asked what it was were met with a uniform response. It is what it is. They'd have to give their email address and wait until 6.26 at 7 p.m. PST. While Tech Twitter held its breath, the It Is What It Is team solicited donations to three racial justice organizations, Loveland Foundation, The Innocence Project, and The Okra Project. People speculated that It Is What It Is was a revolutionary new app, a new way to share voice notes and images, and that it might just change the world. Then, at 7 p.m. Pacific time on Friday night, it is what it is dropped. It wasn't a marketing ad, a marketing stunt for a new company or an app. It simply started as a meme and used that attention to launch a temporary e-commerce store, the proceeds from which support racial justice. At 9 p.m. PST, the team released a statement explaining how it is what it is came about, the hype it built, the team's diversity, and a reminder that, unlike it is what it is, Black Lives Matter and other social movements aren't trends or hype cycles. It is what it is was the rawest example of a trend that's happening with increasing frequency. Meme startups. Meme startups are propelled as much or more by buzz around them than by the products that they make. They use or become memes to build anticipation, jumpstart demand, and raise money. For it is what it is, the meme was an end in and of itself. For meme startups like Clubhouse, Hey, Robin, Superhuman, Rome, and Substack, memes are a means to an end. Becoming a meme. Who controls the memes controls the universe. Elon Musk. When you think of a meme, the first thing that pops into your head is probably an image like this. A single image, impact font, black outline letters. Memes like this fly around the internet at the speed of creativity mixed and remixed, propelled by people's desire to be recognized as a funny member of the in-group. The definition of a meme extends beyond that familiar format, though. A meme is, quote, an idea, behavior, or style that spreads from person to person within a culture. Memes aren't new. Richard Dawkins coined the term meme all the way back in 1976, when the internet was still a series of disparate networks like ARPANET, X25, NPL, and Merit. Dawkins wasn't thinking about Reddit or TikTok when he defined a meme in The Selfish Gene, writing, We need a name for the new replicator, a noun that conveys the idea of a unit of cultural transmission or a unit of imitation. Meme comes from a suitable Greek root, but I want a monosyllable that sounds a bit like gene. I hope my classicist friends will forgive me if I abbreviate meme to meme. It could alternately be thought of as being related to memory or to the French word mem. It should be pronounced to rhyme with cream. Memes exist because we humans love to copy each other. 
the amount of writers writing about Rene Girard and mimetic theory is a hilarious meta example. Founders and marketers hack that innate predilection in order to make their product spread and to jumpstart and catalyze the loops that drive growth and maybe profitability. Memes are such a key to how tech communicates with itself that VCs even use them to stand out and generate deal flow. As we covered in businesses and new sports, Gary Tan, Gary Tan, a venture capitalist, tweeted, either you create a powerful meme that grows organically, powering free customer acquisition, or you are doomed to pay, pay all of your gross margins to Facebook and Google ads. Either your product grows via word of mouth, or you need to pay a lot to acquire customers. VC Chamath Palihapitiya points out that startups spend almost 40 cents of every dollar on Google, Facebook, and Amazon. Just yesterday, Scale.ai CEO Alexander Wang claimed that apps are dead because of the difficulty scaling demand via paid acquisition. For many consumer startups, memes are the answer to the customer acquisition conundrum. Memes are ideal for virality because they're easily shareable, yet inside joke enough to create in-group pride. They're also easily remixable, and they make people feel good about themselves for telling everyone about your product with their own unique spin. As more people tell more people, virality and compounding kick in, and you're off to the races. Memes have been around as long as humans, but today they move, uh, move at warp speed. Two months ago, Clubhouse was the only thing in my Twitter feed. Two weeks ago, it was hey. On Friday, it was, it is what it is. Imagine that a meme has a certain amount of fuel to burn. Our Stone Age ancestors burned that fuel very slowly, over centuries, as ideas spread from one distant tribe to another. I imagine it took a while from the first person wearing clothes to everybody wearing clothes. On the internet, memes burn fast. Many of today's startups burn theirs in weeks or even days. Meme startups need to be careful to avoid the Will Ferrell effect. When something becomes so popular that it moves too quickly from the in-group to everyone and becomes overdone and tired. Just like that, it goes from hilarious to lame, from meme to parody. There are three things that meme companies need to do early to avoid the Will Ferrell effect. One, balance exposure. Walk a narrow tightrope between taking advantage of the early buzz to be everywhere while holding enough back that they don't burn all of their fuel. Two, build in stickiness. Build network effects or switching costs into the product from the jump that reward power users and maintain a sense of stratification. This is important for many companies, but particularly those that get an early flood of users due to curiosity instead of a deeply felt need for the product. Three, evolve. Continue to iterate on and improve the product without straying too far from the core value prop. This may generate new memes. These choices all involve serious trade-offs. Like raising too much money, early hype can make it more difficult to build sustained success by making companies think they've more figured out than they actually do, enabling them to ignore core loops and exposing so many target customers to a product before it's fully built out. If you're lucky enough to become a meme, you need to be prepared with the second act or you risk becoming a parody of yourself. Just ask Will Ferrell. The Will Ferrell effect. When I was a kid, no one was funnier than Will Ferrell. I grew up on him. He joined the cast of SNL in 1995 when I was eight years old, and his Spartan cheerleader skit with Cherry O'Terry is my first SNL memory. Over his seven-year SNL run from 1995 to 2002, Farrell acted in 393 total skits, including some of the all-time greats. He did Celebrity Jeopardy, more Cowbell, Harry Carey, Inside the Actors Studio, George W. Bush. He even did my number one favorite SNL skit of all time, Dissing Your Dog. It's the one where he gets down real low, whispers into his dog's ear, and says, You're a fucking dog. That run landed him at number 12 
on Rolling Stone's SNL all-time list. It also led to a historic run of big screen bangers. He did Zoolander, Old School, Elf, Wedding Crashers, Talladega Nights. Will Ferrell was a meme-generating machine. In the early 2000s, if you couldn't quote every Will Ferrell line, you weren't cool. Simple as that. The cycle fed off itself. Will Ferrell put out a movie. Everyone quoted him. Ferrell was in the zeitgeist. He put out another movie. You knew you had to go see it ASAP. From 1998 to 2005, Ferrell's career was up and to the right. And in the in the piece, there's a chart that shows him going from Night of the Roxbury to Superstar, which were you know forty million dollar revenue films over a five year period, uh, up to Elf, which is about two hundred and twenty million. Um, you know, all, all his films. Not only did his revenue increase with each film, but the percentage of the budget that the film grossed uh, increased as well. So the the studios were getting their money's worth out of Will Ferrell. You couldn't hang out with a dude between the ages of 10 and 45 without hearing a feral quote. More cowbell. You're my boy, Blue. Hansel, so hot right now. Mom, the meatloaf. I'm Ron Burgundy. Guaranteed laughs. Farrell leaned into the success and overexposed himself. He burned his meme fuel. Imagine walking up to a group of your friends right now and yelling, I'm in a glass case of emotion. And we all know the guy who still does it. It wouldn't hit quite the same way, would it? That's the Will Ferrell effect. When something becomes so popular that it moves too quickly from the in-group to everyone and becomes overdone and tired, a parody of itself. Just like that, it's uncool to like it publicly, even if you still like it privately. Ferrell has one incredibly recognizable style that made it easy for him to turn into a meme, get early traction, and go on a hell of a 10-year run. It also meant that when his original reserve of meme fuel ran out, it was done. After Wedding Crashers, he went hit or miss from 2005 to 2010. Notice, though, that even the high-grossing movies did worse as a percent of budget than his 2001 to 2005 gems. Like an overhyped, overfunded startup, even when he did well, he couldn't grow into his valuation. Then it got really ugly. Look at his past decade of movies. I was going to make a graphic in, in the essay for this, but... It just wasn't worth the time. They're terrible. Aside from the Lego movie and maybe Eurovision Song Contest, they're all awful. One was even called Downhill. I haven't watched, but I'm guessing it's a memoir. By 2009, Forbes called Farrell Hollywood's most overpaid star, calculating that Farrell's movies only earned $3.29 for every dollar that the star was paid. Compare Farrell's career to Leonardo DiCaprio's. Other than being really cool and dating a series of young supermodels, Leo doesn't really have a shtick. He stars in a lot of memes, but he isn't a meme. From this boy's life in 1993 to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leo has had a nearly uninterrupted string of movies loved by both critics and audiences alike. I think there are a few reasons. One, he balances exposure. He's consistent enough that people don't forget about him, but selective enough that he avoids embarrassing flops and overexposure. Over 26 years, he has started... 26 major motion pictures, a clean one per year. Over 25, Farrell has appeared in 54. Two, Leo builds in stickiness. His performances aren't straightforward, and they're rarely the same. The same guy who played Jack in Titanic played a South African with a convincing accent in Blood Diamond. If you're a Leo fan, you need to watch everything he does to see how he's going to play it. Three, he evolves. Leo didn't win his first Oscar until 2016. He's continued to improve his craft throughout his career and was willing to take big bets outside of his core value prop. 
The Revenant won him an Oscar in part because it was so different from other roles he's played. Leo's memes prove it. Check out the range on his Jiffy page. Leo's in this sweet spot between Farrell and someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, who's almost reclusive and throws everything into the pursuit of perfection. Lewis is like Hey Creator Basecamp, intentionally not venture scale, but throws a sporadic haymaker. All three actors have had successful careers. I can't knock Will Ferrell for making me laugh for years and earning $100 million while I sit here and write a free newsletter. But if you're a meme startup, you want to be Leo. The downside of virality. But wait, isn't getting a lot of users early on without spending a lot on marketing an unadulteratedly good good thing? Well, it depends. Remember that memes only have a certain amount of fuel. On the internet, it's dangerously easy to burn through that fuel before you're ready. Remember HQ Trivia? The synchronous mobile game show launched in June 2017, grew to 2.3 million simultaneous users, was heralded not just as the future of mobile games, but of television itself, and raised $15 million in February 2018. On Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ Trivia, HQ's animation director, Rusty Weiner, says, The problem was that article made it get way too popular. That spike in popularity just made it grow too quickly. It was too viral. HQ quickly went from fun game show to meme. Interviewed for the podcast, Google Ventures partner MG Siegler said, all of a sudden you'll have 2,000 users using it overnight. That not only can break down the system behind the scenes, but it also just breaks the way you're thinking about how you should be building your company going forward. After a surge in popularity, things went south for HQ. Co-founder Colin Kroll tragically passed away from an overdose in December 2018. In April 2019, HQ fired its host, Scott Rogowski. Then this February, the company shut down with a drunken finale after an acquisition fell through. Going too viral too quickly can be a problem for a bunch of reasons. One, your systems aren't ready. HQ trivia crashed fairly often. It was part of its charm, but it was also a frustrating experience. Two, your features aren't ready. Things move really fast online. You're going to get one shot to impress users, and you might not have a complete enough offering to keep them coming back. Three, your team isn't ready. Getting really popular really fast goes to people's heads. It's easy for your team to think you have things figured out when you don't and get complacent. Four, virality shines a spotlight that exposes the good with the bad. Even it is what it is, which has been widely heralded for doing something good with all of the attention it generated, caught heat for calling one of its shirts, quote, breathtaking. So what did today's meme startups, Clubhouse, Hey, Superhuman, Robinhood, Allbird, Substack, and the rest need to do to end up like Leo instead of HQ and Farrell? How to avoid the Will Farrell effect. Avoiding the Will Farrell effect comes down to transitioning from being known as a meme to being known for a great product that happens to leverage memes to remain relevant and grow. Nike is the Leo of meme companies. It builds quality athletic gear and puts athletes first, and it also happens to be on the right side of the meme over and over again. Its slogan, Just Do It, is iconic. When Zion Williamson blew the soles off his Nikes, the company owned the moment. They made him an enhanced sneaker and later signed him as the face of the Jordan brand. When The Last Dance captivated the nation during quarantine, it gave Nike a boost. And the company stood with Colin Kaepernick in 2018 before it was fashionable. It spawned this poster, 
which I think you've seen before. It has Colin Kaepernick's face and it says, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Not only are Nike's memes excellent in their own right, they all sport similar clean looks and short, powerful statements that make them easily remixable for the lulls. And here I have another image, similar poster, but this time it's Elizabeth Holmes, the, the disgraced founder of Theranos, saying, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Nike has been at this game for a long time. Phil Knight had the opportunity to build the company in relative obscurity before becoming world famous. Our meme startups aren't so lucky. They and the other startups that plan on using means for cheap early growth need to do three things to leverage early virality instead of letting virality crush them. Balance exposure, build in stickiness, and evolve. There's a whole class of startups that live somewhere between meme and real company, between it is what it is and Nike. More precisely, these companies owe much of their early success to becoming memes, but must figure out how to grow into the hype and high valuations that come with memedom. Clubhouse, Hay, Superhuman, Robinhood, Allbirds, Roman Substack are simultaneously products and memes. There's a thin line between cool and cliche that I walk every time I send an email from Superhuman or a newsletter from Substack while wearing Allbirds, trading on Robinhood, and taking my notes in Rome. Certainly, being a meme startup is a champagne problem. While others launch into obscurity, meme startups have, have a shot because they catch fire and become memes. But it's a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, free marketing and early adoption are net positives. On the other, these companies are often able to raise money at tremendous valuations, which means that they need to stick with it when things get tough after the initial meme fuel runs out and keep working to get really, really big. Put in strategy framework terms, these companies need to cross the chasm and reach the early majority before the innovators and early adopters get tired of them, get tired of them and they die on the vine. To understand how they might do that, Let's take a look at one meme startup that made it to the other side, Allbirds, spending on materials instead of marketing. Allbirds are a meme, but they're also a great business. Tim Brown and Joey Zwillinger launched Allbirds in 2016. Within, over, within just over two years, they sold their millionth pair, and seven months later, seven months later raised $50 million from T. Rowe Price at a $1.4 billion valuation. They haven't needed to raise since. For a little while there, you couldn't walk into any startup or VC's office without seeing a few pair of Allbirds wool runners, the comfortable, environment, environmentally friendly shoe that simultaneously signaled status and virtue. The shoes were so ubiquitous that they made it into the VC starter kit, the parody e-commerce box that launched the career of one of Tech Twitter's most popular parody accounts by the same name. Here's the challenge with the Wolfarel effect. Once everyone you know is wearing Allbirds, it's no longer cool to wear Allbirds. So people in tech move on to Adams, Mojave's, or whichever sneaker brand only some people have heard of. But there's good news. Apparently, people outside of Silicon Valley wear sneakers too. Allbirds balance exposure by making the leap from the tech bubble to Hollywood. Celebrities like Oprah, Matthew McConaughey, and Mila Kunis have been spotted rocking Allbirds. Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio himself personally invested in the company because of its use of environmentally friendly materials. And even Barack Obama is a fan. Fun fact, Obama wore Allbirds to the Duke-UNC game in which Zion Williamson blew out his Nikes. By positioning itself as a sustainable shoe company, Allbirds built in stickiness in the form of values-aligned customers, including Leo, a la Patagonia. Allbirds doesn't just tell people that you work in a startup anymore. It tells them that you care about the planet. 
When Amazon copied its product, a death knell for many brands, Allbirds was able to leverage that moment into a meme. Ms. Willinger penned a letter to Jeff Bezos on Medium, telling him that Amazon forgot to copy the most important part, Allbirds' approach to sustainability. That post received 18.6 thousand claps on Medium, generating even more word of mouth. Because of the product's strong word of mouth, the company apparently spends very little on paid acquisition, south of 500,000 per month on annual sales that topped 140 million two years ago and is likely closer to $300 million today. That's the power of going viral, even for a physical product like shoes. If done right, the money you save on marketing can be applied to better use. Growth from marketing spend is costly and fleeting. Over the long term, product wins. To that end, the company has invested in evolving its product line by developing new shoes made of new materials. On a recent episode of the podcast Vetra Stories, Henry McNamara, a VC-backed Allbirds, said, what Allbirds really is is a materials company. It sounds like something a VC might say about its portfolio company, but the facts back them up. Allbirds has patented and trademarked its ZQ Merino Fiber, Tencel Lyocell Tree Fiber, Sweet Foam from Sugar, and Trino from ZQ Merino Fiber and Eucalyptus Tree Fibers. Allbirds has been able to move beyond the memeable shoes that made it famous by producing apparel based on the same sustainability ethos and technology. Its focus on sustainability materials made possible by not having to blow 40 cents of every dollar raised on paid marketing opened the doors to a partnership that will become a new growth fueling meme, a partnership with Adidas to create the world's most sustainable shoe. Allbirds masterfully parlayed its early virality into mainstream adoption by balancing exposure outside of tech building in stickiness through values alignment, and evolving its product line and patent portfolio to the point where it was able to partner with Adidas, leaving some fuel in the tank. Each meme startup's challenges and opportunities. There have been entire essays written on why Basecamp's capital structure means that hay doesn't need to cross the chasm for hay to be a success, how Robinhood's failure to build critical infrastructure and support before it went viral caused the app to fail on the market's most volatile days and contributed to a young trader's suicide. What Clubhouse is already doing to change its perception from another exclusive club for white tech bros to the best place on the internet to have intimate conversations on topic ranging from building to race, with people from Mark Andreessen to MC Hammer to Oprah, or why the difficulty in learning Rome is actually a feature, not a bug. We might even discuss why I actually kind of liked Will Ferrell's most recent movie, Eurovision Song Contest, which fortuitously debuted on Netflix while I was in the middle of writing this, and why Netflix is a perfect place for actors like Ferrell and Adam Sandler to go after they've suffered from the Will Ferrell effect. But I don't want to run out of fuel. I need to balance exposure, hoping that leaving you wanting more builds in stickiness and get to work on next next week's piece so I can continue to evolve. At the end of the day, a meme is only good insofar as the product can back it up before the cool runs dry. That's all for today. Stay classy, not boring. So that's all for today's audio edition. Uh, if you want to read the piece, check it out, check it out at uh, notboring.substack.com. It'll be right up at the top. And enjoy your week.